Chapter 66 of White Jacket or the World in a Man of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. White Jacket or the World in a Man of War by Herman Melville. Chapter 66 Fun in a Man of War. After the race, our man-of-war derby, we had many days fine weather, during which we continued running before the trades toward the north. Exhilarated by the thought of being homeward bound, many of the seamen became joyous, and the discipline of the ship, if anything, became a little relaxed. Many pastimes served to while away the dog-watches in particular. These dog-watches, embracing two hours in the early part of the evening, form the only authorized playtime for the crews of most ships at sea. Among other diversions at present licensed by authority in the Neversink were those of single-stick, sparring, hammer and anvil, and head-bumping. All these were under the direct patronage of the captain, otherwise, seeing the consequences they sometimes led to, they would undoubtedly have been strictly prohibited, it is a curious coincidence that when a Navy captain does not happen to be an admirer of the Fistiana, his crew seldom amuse themselves in that way. Single-stick, as everyone knows, is a delightful pastime which consists in two men standing a few feet apart and wrapping each other over the head with long poles. There is a good deal of fun in it, so long as you are not hit, but a hit in the judgment of discreet persons, spoils the sport completely. When this pastime is practiced by connoisseurs ashore, they wear heavy, wired helmets to break the force of the blows. But the only helmets of our tars were those with which nature had furnished them. They played with great gun-rammers. Sparring consists in playing single-stick with bone poles instead of wooden ones, Two men stand apart and pommel each other with their fists, a hard bunch of knuckles permanently attached to the arms and made globular or extended into a palm at the pleasure of the proprietor, till one of them, finding himself sufficiently thrashed, cries, Enough. Hammer and anvil is thus practiced by amateurs. Patient number one gets on all fours and stays so, while patient number two is taken up by his arms and legs, and his base is swung against the base of patient number one, till patient number one, with the force of the final blow, is sent flying along the deck. Head-bumping, as patronized by Captain Claret, consists in two negroes, whites will not answer, butting at each other like rams. This pastime was an especial favorite with the captain, in the dog-watches, Rosewater and Mayday were repeatedly summoned into the lee-waist to tilt at each other for the benefit of the captain's health. Mayday was a full-blooded bull-negro, so the sailors called him, with a skull like an iron tea-kettle, wherefore Mayday much fancied the sport. But Rosewater, he was a slender and rather handsome mulatto, and aboard the pastime. Nevertheless, the captain must be obeyed. So, at the word, poor Rosewater was fain to put himself in a posture of defense, 
else May Day would incontinently have bumped him out of a porthole into the sea. I used to pity poor Rosewater from the bottom of my heart, but my pity was almost aroused into indignation at a sad sequel to one of these gladiatorial scenes. It seems that, lifted up by the unaffected, though verbally unexpressed applause of the captain, Mayday had begun to despise Rosewater as a poltroon, a fellow all brains and no skull, whereas he himself was a great warrior, all skull and no brains. Accordingly, after they had been bumping one evening to the captain's content, Mayday confidentially told Rosewater that he considered him a nigger, which among some blacks is held a great term of reproach. Fired at the insult, Rosewater gave Mayday to understand that he utterly erred, for his mother, a black slave, had been one of the mistresses of a Virginia planter belonging to one of the oldest families in that state. Another insulting remark followed this innocent disclosure. Retort followed retort. In a word, at last they came together in mortal combat. The master-at-arms caught them in the act and brought them up to the mast. The captain advanced. Please, sir, said poor Rosewater, it all came at that air bumping. Mayday here aggravated me about it. Master-at-arms, said the captain, did you see them fighting? Aye, sir, said the master-at-arms, touching his cap. Rig the grating, said the captain. I'll teach you two men that, though I now and then permit you to play, I will have no fighting. Do your duty, boatswain's mate. And the negroes were flogged. Justice commands that the fact of the captain's not showing any leniency to Mayday, a decided favorite of his, at least while in the ring, should not be passed over. He flogged both culprits in the most impartial manner. As in the matter of the scene at the gangway, shortly after the Cape Horn theatricals, when my attention had been directed to the fact that the officers had shipped their quarter-deck faces upon that occasion, I say, it was seen with what facility a sea officer assumes his wonted severity of demeanor after a casual relaxation of it. This was especially the case with Captain Claret upon the present occasion. For any landsman to have beheld him in the lee-waist of a pleasant dog-watch with a genial, good-humored countenance, observing the gladiators in the ring, and now and then indulging in a playful remark, that landsman would have deemed Captain Claret the indulgent father of his crew, perhaps permitting the excess of his kind-heartedness to encroach upon the appropriate dignity of his station. He would have deemed Captain Claret a fine illustration of those two well-known poetical comparisons between a sea captain and a father, and between a sea captain and the master of apprentices, instituted by those eminent maritime jurists, the noble lords Tenterden and Stowell. But surely, if there is anything hateful, it is this shipping of the quarter-deck face after wearing a merry and good-natured one. How can they have the heart? Methinks if but once I smiled upon a man, never mind how much beneath me, I could not bring myself to condemn him to the shocking misery of the lash. O oh, officers all around the world, if this quarter-deck face you wear at all, then never unship it for another to be merely sported for a moment. 
of all insults the temporary condescension of a master to a slave is the most outrageous and galling that potentate who most condescends mark him well for that potentate if occasion come will prove your uttermost tyrant end of chapter sixty six recording by james k white chula vista